if you you're listening to the city world radio network high definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world www.cityworldradio.com moments uh another thursday night and i welcome all back who have been uh previous listeners and i welcome all my new listeners tonight as well we have a great night of radio tonight and i'm absolutely thrilled and honored to be here well technically here uh she's calling in from the northwest but via cell phone to lisa fisher the author of the absolutely amazing and ever so pertinent right now book admissions by design stop the madness and find the best college for you Lisa is a celebrated educator, coach, college and career counselor, and now author. And um, in a few seconds, we are going to get to Lisa and uh, have really a conversation I think that we all need to have with our kids right now, especially those out there listening that have children that are close, you know, in high school, later years of high school and ready to embark on this this admissions to college journey because it is treacherous. Um, But briefly, for those of you just joining in, I'm Kathleen, and I started Morph Mom, and hence Morph Mom Moments Radio Show. Uh, For a quick introduction, and I do promise quick, uh, I was a lawyer many, many, many decades ago. I stopped to have my kids. 14 years later, I tried to go back. They weren't as interested as I might have been to have gone back and sort of had to figure out what to do. Lack of confidence, lack of options, lack of resume, <laughs> lack of lots. I wasn't really sure where to begin. And rather than try and reinvent the wheel by myself, I decided to go out and document the stories and the journeys of those who had gone before me, who had been through this, who had overcome this, overcome the obstacles, and figured out what to do. And not just tell the stories, their personal stories, but specific steps that they took, those that worked, those that didn't work, and in turn to hopefully benefit those looking to do this, a similar thing. Now, that was about four years ago when I started Morph Mom, and that's M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com. And I encourage you, uh, those of you out there listening tonight, to go to the site. We have videos, I think there are over 600 from around the country, telling stories and you can't believe the stories, you can't believe the accomplishments, and you just can't believe the wherewithal that these women have shown, and not just that, but the generosity to then pay it forward to all of us out there. Uh, Since then, because of the stories, I started to write for the Huffington Post and uh, share these stories as well. And the following year, although the internet, you know, 
seeing something visually on the computer was fine for some, there was still something lacking for some, and that was the human interaction. So what I started to do was host cocktail parties, which pretty good at cocktail parties. <laughs> then I went around the country and began to host these cocktail parties and actually physically introduce these women around the country. So when I left, they still had a connection going and hopefully an ongoing connection as well. And then most recently we have started classes and I encourage you to visit the site. Again, those of you out there in the next week or so, the, the site will be um, fixed, well, not fixed rather, but it will be it will show when the events are, when the cocktail parties are, how to sign up for these classes, and really what's going on. And we've just started a really fun new thing called Morph Mom Goes To, and we will be uh, going as a, sort of an army of Morph Moms to different causes and to support different things. And again, I encourage you to go to the site and find this out, but you got to give me about a week to get it up. <laughs> I thought it'd be up by now, but it's not. But it's getting there, I promise. Um, and finally, this year, which is so exciting, I started the Morph Mom Moments radio show. And the most exciting part about this is the guest that I can introduce to the world. And tonight is exactly just that, that I get to introduce someone who's just amazing and kind and generous and really has a very important message to share. So uh, again, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Lisa Fisher, the author of Admissions by Design, Stop the Madness, and Find the Best College for You. Uh, Lisa, I'm just going to ask you to sort of introduce yourself as well and give us sort of an idea of your journey, your story, and how you came to write and share this amazing book with us. Well, Kathleen, thanks. thank you so much, first of all, for having me on your show. I'm really inspired by your story and by everything that you're doing. So I'm, It's just an honor to be on here um, with you. And so, well, my own journey um, is a, you know, one that is um, uh, comprised of a lot of, you know, long and winding roads and um, different paths. And um, I started in in the field of design, which is how um, I ended up making the connection um, between college counseling and design. And after spending a few years in design and really loving it, um, I... I wanted to jump over to something that had a little bit um, more of a, a social sector angle. It was important to me to be doing good in the world, and I was really drawn to education. And so um, I worked at a, a very young school at the time. It was just getting off the ground, an independent school, and um, was an educator and a, a vice principal and a college counselor at this school and um, had the benefit of working with a, a number of really tremendous families. But Naturally, you know, as most independent um, uh, independent college counselors and college counselors are in independent schools, um, I was a you know a college counselor that was very driven to get students into you know the name schools, and that was really the mark of success. Um, and um, and so you know, I did that successfully for a number of years, but over time, I started just to see the wear and tear on my students and also the families. And um, about that time, I had my own daughter, and I started to reflect on the process more and, and thought, you know, was this, was this was the payout um, really worth the cost of what I was seeing in my students? And I describe in the book that I had, you know, I had this, um, this real turning point moment um, after, you know, having seen moments like this for a number of years. It, I just, you know, stepped into the aha of it all when I had a... a a young woman come to my office and um, she was, you know, running between uh, class and a, a 
tutoring session and very frantic and harried. And um, she was trying to, you know, work with me on her college admissions process. And essentially, as I describe in the book, you know, said to me, um, you know, after me prompting a couple of times around um, questions, more driving at, you know, what what would feel right to her, what would feel good to her, you know, how, how could she more frame the college process um, toward a, an internal journey? She said to me, just, I don't have time for this. Just tell me what you think that they want me to write, what they want me to say. Well, college counselors have all kinds of stories like this, um, but this one hit me in particular, and I think it was, you know, a number of things that were happening at that moment. Like I said, I just had my daughter and had seen the wear and tear of the process over the years, um, and I had started to orient myself a little bit more around this notion of an internal journey. Um, but as she ran off to her tutoring session, I thought, wow, you know, we are missing the boat on this. And I just knew that it wasn't about the kids. Um, it was about the way that the system is structured. And I recognized that I was playing a part of this and a very important part, right, driving kids to apply to these name um, schools and prestigious schools. So I started to think about how, how, could you, how could you do it differently? How could you reframe um, the college admissions process to be one of an internal journey, one of knowing yourself rather than externally facing and about the school? And so over years, I, I began just to craft my message differently, working with students in a different way, families in a different way. And I came to find that um, it was a much more holistic process, that students and families were thriving as a result. It didn't become about the schools, although they were very successfully getting admissions to the schools, but they knew much more about themselves and what mattered to them, and they were set up on a, a positive trajectory going forward. Um, Nevertheless, Kathleen, I was really reluctant to document my process, and I, a couple of times, I ran it by um, some folks who were, you know, in college admissions, the college admissions offices at colleges, and said, hey, I have this idea for a book, you know, about reframing more toward an internal soul journey, um, you know, or, or dropping down the craziness around the process, and I had a couple of, of um, dear friends say to me, don't write that book. You're just wasting your time. Nobody's going to read that book. Um, nobody's interested in that message. And so I didn't I didn't write the book for a lot of years until it got, just got to a point where I, I knew, um, you know, we all, I think, are, are at a place where the message has to be a different one, um, not the least of which because of the, the physical and mental health impacts on our kids. When, when, how long ago was that when you first came up with the idea? Well, it was in 2000. So here we are in 2016. Um, and it was the year that my daughter was born. And I remember holding her and thinking, you know, at the same time working with these kids and thinking there must be a different way. Um, there has to be a different way. And that was really the starting, you know, of my, of my different orientation around the process. And the, the clients that I've worked with over the years, I think they understand that that's, you know, that's what um, the work that they do with me. It's not so much about it's going to be the name college as it's about you're going to know yourself and you're going to know what matters to you and we're going to frame it up, you know, with you at the center rather than, um, you know, school X at the center. Right, like a kid walking in saying, I'm going to apply to here, 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 and here because those are the names that I know and this is what I think I'm supposed to do. Exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's just the, that's been the culture of admissions. It's been, um, you know, it's been very externally focused, right? We know some of these named schools or we know the schools, um, you know, that are, that are, uh, that we hear about, you know, the, the kids know the schools that they hear about, but they don't necessarily know, you know, the, all the wonderful schools out there, of course, nor have they often made the connection when they're talking about those schools, um, about how they, you know, as human beings, as individuals, could really thrive or flourish at those schools. And that's what I'm interested. I'm interested in, in shifting the conversation or shifting the paradigm to be one that's much more student-centered, one that's more humanistic, and one that's more interested in seeing students thrive in a, you know, long-term trajectory. Remembering that college is just, this is just one step, right, on a very long, the very long road of life. Um, and the way that we frame this up at this very important rite of passage time for students can either put them on a really beautiful trajectory for life or it can be devastating and set them on a path or a course um, that, you know, I, I sometimes am addressing with um, people in my private therapy practice where, you know, they're lost and mm-hmm. they come in their 40s and say, you know, or 50s and say, I never, I never meant to be on this path. It's just that I didn't know what I wanted and no one ever really talked to me about it. Right, and then they're at a crossroads in their lives because um, they never had the opportunity to have the conversation about what was important to them. So, how do you begin that conversation? So, so now I have a a child in college, and I have a child now who's entering senior year of high school, mm-hmm. about to go through this again. And one is a girl, and one is a boy. And I think so. When you meet with these students, where do you begin? So they're so, or, or many many kids are are so already structured. They already know this is this, 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 and they really have never taken the time to self-reflect. How do you mm-hmm. restructure the process for these guys? Like, how do you start it again where they have mm-hmm. to look, you know, they have to look inside and figure things out? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's tricky, right? Because, of course, these are messages that um, we've received for so long, right? By the time you hit junior high or high school, you you're, you're, sometimes you're, you know, indoctrinated in, in the messages around um, college and the right way to do it or the schools that you should be um, going to. But that, in the book, you know, that's, um, that is the, the journey that I take kids on. I, I call the U map. And um, it really begins with asking students to slow down and get quiet. Um, just be a little bit more tuned in to how is this all working, you know, for themselves for themselves. And um, although I know that seems, especially in a, you know, in the, the culture and climate um, of college admissions today, it seems absolutely crazy probably to say, you know, slow yourself down and get quiet. It really is the foundation um, for the UMAP process because students often are not listening to their internal voices. They're not listening to the messages um, that their physical bodies are giving them, their emotional bodies are giving them. And so, um, you know, by by just framing it up that way and say, let's just, let's take a pause here and, and look at the landscape of this and how is it working? And then I try to really step just into conversation with students um, and get them to, you know, get them again to connect on a very human level because so much mm-hmm. of the college admissions process is driven by, um, you know, this notion of you've got to have a million activities and you've got to be a superhero. Um I frame it up instead of um, an initial process of discovery. 
So, you know, the, the, the David Schumer quote, quote, for example, just knowing yourself is the real journey. So let's go back and, you know, understand the story of you. Take me through the story of you. So I have students do a, a lifeline um, exercise where they, you know, talk about the highs and lows of their life from as early as they can remember up to now, you know, what, what were influential people in their lives, organizations, um, you know, schools. And from there, um, you know, have them talk about important forks in their roads or decisions, things that they've, ta- you know, taken with them on their journey to here, things they've let go of, to try to get just a, a snapshot of them at this moment. And then from there, I move into all kinds of different exercises, and this is, you know, this is what I've documented in the book, things like, you know, them uncovering, I mean, I call it nugget mining, you know, uncovering their raw material. So, you know, what are their favorite things, and what are their interests? Um, you know, things like what are their birthright gifts, um, their, their strengths, and their edges, and edges, you know, is another way of saying weaknesses because I, I don't really believe in weaknesses. But, um, you know, it's more the idea that you're, you're working on things. You have this growth mindset, um, you know, and you're working on it. So we spend a lot of time, um, you know, really mining who, who is this person, um, you know, sitting in front of me. And, and then we use that as the springboard um, to begin to talk about, you know, what's important uh, to the student. Do you see a difference, um, and I have one daughter and two, two sons, and do you see a difference with boys and girls, how they react to this or, or how much they're willing to share, or is it, it's not gender-related, it's more just sort of individual? You know, I haven't really seen a big gender, um, you know, a gender divide necessarily. I can definitely see kids who are more tuned into themselves versus kids who, you know, kids who have, um, where it's been more prescribed where this idea of, of knowing yourself is a very foreign idea. Um, so, you know, there's more, maybe more discrepancy in that than there is um, in terms of gender. I think the other thing is, you know, in, in, in college counseling, uh, whether it's independent counseling or, you know, counseling in school, so often we fail just to pause ourselves as, the, you know, as adult mentors or people helping kids through the process. And really sit with a student and ask, you know, ask questions that really drive toward who they are as a human being. And, and what I've found is even if students are reluctant to share at the beginning, um, there, is a, there is usually, not, it doesn't take too long to get to sort of an unfolding process where kids really like to talk to, about themselves, right? They like to talk about um, what matters to them. It's just that we don't always pause long enough to step into that type of conversation with them and um, to help them get to know themselves. And that's what I think is the big, big missing piece in college admissions today is, you know, we've got them in, in all kinds of, of you know, avenues um, or roads, you know, in terms of a process, but we don't stop and say, hold on a second, you know, the starting point is you, so let's really get to know you at this moment and what you think you might want what your hunches are around that, and then how might we tee you up to go off and do that or try that or flourish in areas that really matter to you. And I think that's probably one of the first times that somebody, again, from limited experience that I have, you know, you don't know what to do. You think there's sort of this pattern that you're supposed to follow. You're supposed to hit every, you know, check every box on this paper and that that will work. And it's it's not some magical, uh, you know, 
recipe to do something, but for lack of knowing what else to do, you think, oh, you need leadership, you need this, you need that, you need this. And even not realizing it sometimes, I think it's hard to not impose that upon them, thinking, but wait, no, you're going to need this, you're going to need that, and not realizing how much more pressure a parent may be putting upon that child as well at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think, you know, I talk about this in the book too, I think it's, I do think it, it becomes sort of this anxiety snowball, right, where where there's a, the anxiety that a parent feels, and I know this well, right, I have a 16-year-old daughter and a, a 14 and a half year old stepdaughter, I mean, we're right in this, and I know, you know, I know that anxiety well, I know it from working with clients, I know it from being a parent myself, um, but, you know, we have to be careful about, you know, about the 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 way we're approaching this. Because, um, you know, children are looking to us as parents. They're looking to us around, you know, the messaging related to this and, and what's the right, you know, what are the right courses of action. And we have made it into really, so much of the system has made it into sort of this checkbox, you know, to your point, yeah. process. When, in fact, if we think about it, this is such an important rite of passage, right? This is students stepping out for the first time into their right, own individual lives and doing that um, riddled with anxiety, right, riddled with am I enough, did I check every box, yeah. it's probably not the best way to set our kids on, you know, on a path to success. I mean, I guess it depends on what your definition of success is, but, you know, part of what what I've been really concerned about is seeing these extraordinarily successful, right, in quote, students go on to schools and not thrive, right, mm-hmm. be riddled with anxiety, have terrible depression, you know, question the path that they're on. Is that really the way we want to do this? Um, you know, I don't. I, and, and you know, that I, I think that's why I finally took the leap and just said, okay, it's you know, even if this message resonates with no one, um, this is important to me as an advocate for kids um, that, you know, you could do this differently. You could step out and make this more of a rite of passage and make it more of a declaration or a, a reclaiming of your own power in the process and do it your way. Design it so it works for you, for uniquely you. Um, Something you just said so resonates with me right now. And again, so applying to college. And for those of you listening, by the way, uh, thank you all for joining in tonight. We're here with the ever amazing Lisa Fisher. Uh, Among every other accomplishment she has beyond, uh, including educator, coach, college and career counselor. And by the way, junior Olympic skier. I had to throw them there as well. Um, But also (laughs) author now of Admissions by Design, Stop the Madness and Find the Best College for You. and we're talking with Lisa today about just the the pressures of the admissions process and how rather than looking at from the perspective that we've all gone through for many, many years, looking more to the child and seeing what it is, looking inward as opposed to outward. And decades and decades ago when I applied to college, the pressure just wasn't there. But when you just said, am I enough, resonated so much with me mm-hmm. having children this age. Mm-hmm. Again, I have someone in college, someone applying right now. And am I enough is just such a terrifying sentence, but it's there. I mean, it's prevalent and it's, it's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, hi, my yeah, name- and I think, oh. I mean, I think the challenge of it is um, it's, it, it's, it's sort of a two punch question, right? And we don't, we often don't talk about the parent piece of this too, but you know, so much of the, of, of, of um, child achievement 
is wrapped, you know, so much of parent, parents feeling successful as parents is wrapped up in child achievement. And I, I address this in the book too, um, that, you know, somehow if your child goes to, you know, school X, you have, you know, hit the home run or you've not quite made it as a parent, but you, you wonder about, am I enough as a parent? Did I do enough to help my student? And then you've got at the same time the student saying, you know, am I enough? Listen, this can get totally reframed. This is what really bothers me about this is that, you know, students are, are uh, you, you know, just um, overcome with anxiety about putting themselves out there in the best way they know how through these college applications, through these college applications, and then, you know, waiting for the baton of blessing on, you know, if they were enough or not. Right. What if we flip this whole thing? Right, that's that's what the premise of the book is. It's like, what if we flip this and and instead we had a consumer mindset and we started to organize around these things that actually are healthy for our students in terms of both their physical and their mental health. Um, and I, you know, I talk about things like the Big Six, which is a um, you know a Gallup poll, the findings of a Gallup poll, and I'll come to that in a minute. But what if we reorganized ourselves so that students actually felt through this process empowered instead of waiting? you know, for someone to say you are good enough or aren't good enough. And thought, you know, we're, we're very thoughtful in the, in the exercise of getting to know themselves and then saying, I would be a good match at all of these schools and here's, you know, I would know I could thrive at all of these places because I did a thorough investigation of myself. I know who I am and what I want right now. And now I'm going to go out and I'm going to look for a school that matches that. That's a different way to organize than, you know, did I put enough leadership stuff down? Right. You know, did I run around and do enough volunteer activities from a very inauthentic place so that right. I could get access to a school that maybe is right for me, but I'm not even sure because I don't know myself. Right. Um, hey, Lisa, my name is Mariah. Um, can you hear me? Hi, Mariah. Hi. Yes. I- I I wanted to um cut in and just one tell you that I think it's fascinating that you wrote a book like this to students and um I want to get this correct you have activities that they can kind of do like self discovery activities in the book Yes okay. yeah that's the I mean that's the lion's share of the second half of the book is something I call the U map mm-hmm. which is a process I've used with students for years now um and mm-hmm. I just document that process and you know, my hope is to make it more readily available to students and families, how they might, you know, step into this in a different way. So, yes, there's, an, there's a number of exercises in the book and how, um, how to do that. That's wonderful. Um, one of the reasons why I think that's so important is because I I know myself um, when I was going through the high school process of, of kind of transitioning into, you know, applying for colleges, I went to a really big school and in the city. I went to LaGuardia High School and I felt like, you know, as much as the counselors wanted to help every single student and be personal, personal mm-hmm. with them, it's very mm-hmm. difficult. So um, I think it's great that you kind of help students even outside of what you're able to reach them you know you might not know them face to face but with this book you can kind of reach other children who maybe feel like I don't really have many people to talk to there's also generations of, of families that maybe haven't you know been to school like they might be the first person going to college so I think it's really cool that you have a book like that um, that can help other other people in different circumstances to kind of find their way so I just wanted to thanks Mariah uh, yeah thank you for that yeah Thank you for saying that. And I really, I want to highlight something really important that you said about your, you know, about your experience and the, you know, and I address this in the book too, the shortage of school counselors. Mm, um, yes. Listen, 
college counselors, school counselors are the hardest working people, right? This is, this again is a systemic challenge. Um, they absolutely want to reach every student, but when you mm-hmm. look at some of the statistics, and I have these in the book, um, you know, right now um, in high schools where counselors are often the primary source of information about college but have usually a whole host of other responsibilities, yes. the national average is one um you know, one counselor to 266 students. That's the national average. In California, it's one to 500. In Georgia, it's one to 512. These are the averages. So this is, you know, in uh, Timothy Pratt had a really wonderful article um, in Time Magazine in 2013 called The High School uh, Counselor Shortage, and he shared about this overtaxed system. The fact is, right, we, we really do have a shortage of school counselors and a shortage of help. And so we need more and more tools for students to be able to, you know, step into this. My concern is that sometimes those tools are very much about, you know, what Kathleen was saying earlier, this checkbox, right? This is here's the checklist mm-hmm. of stuff to get done, as opposed to, you know, how do we frame up ways that kids can really, really know themselves, families can be in conversation about what matters to them around the college process. Right, just even having an understanding of why college, why mm-hmm. now, exactly. you know, why the schools that are on this list um, is something that isn't, you know, those aren't conversations being readily had. And an interesting point, actually, that Mariah said was sort of first-generation kids going to college as well. And, and mm-hmm. I think that must automatically impose an even greater uh obstacle as well because not only do you have to speak with the child about this self you know self-reflective process but maybe with the family as well who may not be as accepting of this idea have you run into have you encountered that as well i have i've worked with a lot of first generation um students in fact after um you know after my experience um in school they went to work for um uh some foundations and people who are working more systemically on this issue around college access and first generation um students in particular this is a real passion area of mine i think it's of critical importance but you know what what's missing again to mariah's point um also just and to what you're saying Kathleen you know, just this this ability to step into conversation mm-hmm. around it so in the book, I also have exercises that um, parents and students can do together, um, you know, that, that help open up some of the, you know, the different things related to, um, you know, the values of the family or um, mm-hmm. the things to consider. So, so often we just say, oh, it's college, but we don't have things, um, I mean, we don't frame up the conversation around, um, you know, what are, what, are the th- what are the constraints mm-hmm. and then what are the opportunities? Um, so you have to take that into consideration, right? It's, it must be a much more customized conversation right. than often we, um, you know, we suggest it is. You know, family values comes into play here, right? What the responsibility is of the student. Uh, very often, and, you know, with many of the first-generation um, families I've worked with, maybe a kid is um, working, you know, in part to support a family, or there may be some reluctance for the student to go far away. These are things that need to be discussed um, and talked about instead of just, hey, we're going to, you know, scattershot applications everywhere right. and make the assumption that, you know, the best school, um, you know, wins. Not necessarily, right. right? There are all kinds of different ways to do this. And how do you feel, or how do you deal with, rather, the issue of now with recruitment. So kids are getting recruited 
you know, junior year, sophomore year, freshman year, and most recently, and I'm pretty sure I heard this correctly, eighth grade, I, I still can't even imagine that, but somebody recently told me to, that there were eighth graders recruited. So with this crazy sports thing going on at the same time, which okay. just adds such a tremendous burden, again, on those who, you know, have to wait till April, which when, in my era, which was, again, many, many, many decades ago, it was normal to wait until April of senior year to figure out where you were going. But nowadays, mm-hmm. that's just an added pressure to those who may not be superstar athletes. And I don't take away anything from those kids who have worked that hard and have earned that as well, the younger kids. But for those who are not on that path, how do you speak with them about this self-discovery process as well? Because it somehow must, it just adds to this ever-building stress factor that just, I don't know. I, 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 how do you deal with that as well, I guess, with the kids? So with students who've been, who are recruited for sports, just how do I, how do I work with them around some of the framing? Well, no, not those that have been recruited, but I guess really those who are in the situation where there may be in a classroom where a majority of the kids are phenomenal athletes and are, are getting recruited, you know, day by day by day, freshman year, sophomore year, mm-hmm. junior year. And those who are mm-hmm. not, oh, who are now feeling more of a burden, mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, not only are all these kids already going to college, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is this is where the you know this is where we're so off in terms of the system. Um, I think so much of this this is why you know in addition to working with students, for me the leverage point are the leverage point in this system right now is students and families because let's face it, education reform takes a long time. So we're all working on some of these reforms um, right now, which are vice board. You know, Harvard has this wonderful report out called Turning the Tide which is, you know, really about um, uh, it, it, well, what he's done is put together a coalition of, of schools that are, you know, tired of the, um, of the you know, traditional practices um, in college admissions are interesting, interested in looking at things a little bit differently. Um, so, you know, things are moving. Um, uh, right, this is, a, in, in the case of the Turning the Tide report, this is the very first time in history that this broad coalition of college admissions offices have joined forces to, to you know, collectively encourage high school students to focus on meaningful, you know, ethical, uh, uh, intellectual engagement and service that actually matters. Um, this is this is a big-time big change, and with that said, this system is going to be slow to change. To your question, I think, again, the leverage point in the system at this moment is students and families. You want to see things change, you got to step into changing it. You've got to step into not, you know, not, um, not agreeing to participate in the, you know, increasing anxiety and say, what is going to work for me? You know, how can I reframe this so that it's about my individual journey rather than about what everybody else in this classroom is doing? they're on their own journeys. And the fact is, and I say this in the book, it doesn't really matter what they're doing because they aren't you. Right? And sometimes I liken it just to a, like a garden of flowers. And part of this is to, um, you know, sometimes digest as a student or parent. But, right, flowers in a garden, they bloom at different times. So this notion that, you know, everybody's got to bloom by X date in high school <laughs> in order right. to go to X college to be successful is just nonsense. It's complete nonsense, right? We don't know if a student is, 
you know, in full bloom at 13 or 15 or 25 or, right? I mean, there's a, there's an unfolding, there's a process of blooming that happens for every kid. So, you know, my suggestion around that is, you know, that, that the school, that the, you know, the classrooms, that the counselors get into this idea of having a culture that is less about what's everybody else doing. That's right. back to the external focus, right? And more about what are you doing? Because you you got to get on the path that causes you to bloom. Right. Um, and that's where we're missing it, right, is that we, we keep doing all the comparing to each other when it's really not about each other. If you think about, you know, how are you going to go manifest your greatest self? Mm-hmm. You're going to do it through figuring out what's the best environment for you to thrive in. And that's probably not necessarily the place that, you know, Sally to the right of you or Jack to the left of you <laughs> is thriving. Uh, hey, Lisa, can you hear yes. me still? Okay, it's Mariah again. Uh, I kind of feel like you're answering my question as you're going along with uh, what Kathleen just asked you, but I am curious to know how you handle the students that uh, don't get into colleges because I know that there's a, a great amount of students that do, and then there's a really great amount of students that don't, and I know that mm-hmm. that must be devastating for them, so I just wonder it how is. you handle that. Uh, and what yeah, kind of advice well, you give them? Listen, this is such a fabulous question that you're asking. Um, this is tough, right? It's tough. I, uh, let me give you an example. This is a. This is not a. Um, this isn't. I'll give you examples of students where you know they, they haven't gotten in um, at all. But I, but here's a good example, right? I just had a student, um, mm-hmm. a first generation student, apply to a number of really fantastic colleges, and he he got in everywhere except for one school, and he was devastated that he didn't get into that one school. Mm. Um, and listen, it, that was the school he said he really wanted to go to, right, from the from the outset. Um, and he got in everywhere else with, you know, amazing um, merit scholarship money. I mean, he was really a tremendous, tremendous student, tremendous family. It's so hard, right? And that, here's, here's, a, here's a case of a kid where didn't get into one um and I'll, you know i can give you some other stories which i will and it was still absolutely painful to work through it but this is also part of what i like to say to families is you know you got to break up with the one you got to break up with this you know i, I use this idea of matchmaking and you know and and kind of a dating frame because i think it makes it more fun for students and families um so i say you know Listen, college, the college process is a little like, you know, kind of matchmaker or matchmaker, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's like, hey, I like that person, but that person doesn't like me back, or that person likes me, but I don't like him or her, right? Or we both like each other. Um, it's a little bit like that. Um, and so if you can think of it as that kind of a dance rather than, you know, I've, just, I've been totally rejected. And if you can hold the space for... Um, you know, again, breaking up with the one and thinking that there's a number of schools at which you can probably thrive if you know yourself and you know what you want. You, you know, you don't have to have all your eggs in one basket. The other piece is I try to remind students, and this, you know, you won't find in most college admissions book, books, there's a little bit of magic that goes with this. You know, you can't always predict why it is that you didn't get into school X, but if you can hold the faith that there's a little bit of magic dust in this, um, 
and even if that sounds hoodoo voodoo, I've seen this over and over and over. So I'll have a student who's completely devastated that he or she didn't get into a particular school, and then right here she meets um, uh, his or her partner at the school, right? right? Or something really remarkable happens at that school that could not have happened anywhere else, and he or she is thriving. And I have countless letters of students saying, you said this would happen, and this happened, right? These are the kids who didn't get in to the schools who write me and say, this was the perfect match for me. I just didn't know it. You know, this issue of rejection was a a big issue. Um, I think, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out for good reason. Uh, And that's hard to digest. But, but again, if you can reframe it that it's not necessarily the right match in the same way that sometimes dating doesn't work out, you know, because it's not the right match. Um, that's a good way to hold it. But mm-hmm. I will also say, you know, this is where my training as a therapist, of course, really comes in handy because it's devastating to not get into the school of your choice. And there is also the lesson of resiliency in there, right? It's like, how do you want to show up at the moments that you have been denied? Mm-hmm. Um, where's the character piece in this? You know, and how do you show up as a parent around it? How do you show up as a student, right, with continued belief in yourself? Um, Because there will be times in your life that things just don't work out. They don't pan out. And it's a good time to, you know, really bone up around resiliency and decide how you're going to step in um, when things don't work out. It's. I think that is something I always say to my kids too. It's people will remember how you handled a situation that didn't go well, as opposed to the mm-hmm. one that went so well for yourself, right? That, like you're just saying, that shows the character, that shows who you are, and it shows how you deal with others in that situation, mm-hmm. and how you then continue in that situation. But I have a question for you, too. So with all of this madness, and it has become, as you said, and those of you joining us tonight, and I appreciate all listeners coming in, welcome to Morph Mom Moments. And we're speaking with Lisa Fisher, the amazing author of Admissions by Design, Stop the Badness, Find the Best College for You. And I just want to go back to just stop the badness, because there's just so much madness that goes around this. There is. It's insane. Um, But I, I, I wonder... So with all the madness, and this, again, is something that decades ago we did not have to deal with, the social media aspect to this. How do you mm-hmm. how do you handle that part of it? So, you know, there's a child who sees – you can't hide anything, right? Everything is on social media. And as I tell my kids, it's not always the truth as well. People like to show the good signs on social media, not necessarily things that aren't going as well. So you tune into social media and you see all the positive, great things that are happening to everybody – have you had a student come to you and say, you know, I just keep seeing everything so great with everybody else, and it's just, I'm so discouraged yeah, by this. Yeah, and I'm yeah. devastated. I don't it, know it what is, to do. So, yeah. I, this is such a great question. And, and social media, you know, is a new, I mean, it, that is new, um, you know, especially for for us parents who now have kids of this age, right? We, we weren't facing that. There were different ways that we learned about, you know, where people got into school or didn't get right. into school, and um, it's much more. You know, I mean, it's much more prevalent in your face, of course, through social media. Again, I want to come back to, you know, just a couple of, um, uh, you know, a couple of things. In the book, I talk about this, you know, this notion of growth mindset um, and also grit. And I think, you know, this is also, you know, part of the resiliency piece. Um, 
you know, how do you step into that? But I also recommend um, families in advance of ever hearing a word from schools that you have a plan, you know, that you actually have stepped into a plan the student has and the family has around how, how some of these things are going to be managed because it's much easier, it's much, much easier before all of this is going down to think about, you know, how might you be proactive and, you know, imagine, okay, if I don't get into a certain school and everybody's posting on social media, what do I want to do? You know, maybe it's like, okay, I want to have a social media diet. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to engage with that. Or, um, you know, having kind of a, a, a more proactive idea about how that can be addressed on the front end is always really helpful because then in the role that I play with families, right, I can remind people of, hey, you know, we made this plan. This is a good time to enact the plan. It's going to be tough for a little while. Um, and the question is, how are you going to show up? Are you going to show up with this growth mindset? Are you going to show up with resiliency, with grit? Um, and how can this be character building for you? So, again, you know, the reframing. That doesn't take away the sting of social media. Um, and I don't think it's, I think it's practical in some sense to say, um, you know, the students, hey, just don't look at it. But listen, their lives are on social media. You know, I have, you know, we have two teenage kids in our house. We see this all the time. And so I don't think that that's necessarily, you know, the answer or the solution. But I think it is actively being engaged in dialogue, you know, about it. And also um, helping kids to really understand, you know, what, but positive or negative about it and how they can help manage and monitor this for themselves. Social media is not going away. Um, and so I think students have to really learn how to, you know, how to step in or engage um, with it appropriately or, you know, or step away from it uh, when, when things are feeling painful. So I have a question for you. So now it's, it's senior year. It's the beginning of senior year. And you children at home, you know they're going to the school, the school counselors, but you are also trying to engage in these conversations and not put more pressure on them because there's so much pressure on them anyway already. Mm-hmm. So mm. when you're trying to look into this and help with this, and I love this idea of the self-reflective journey as opposed to this is school I'm going to. No, this is who I am, and as a result of that, this is where I should be looking. What suggestions do you have for parents out there? Or what, what do we ask? So we're in the car, you know, for the 20-minute car right out there, and that's the only attention span we're going to get from them at all. Mm-hmm. We have them totally. Car captive, rides are good. Yeah, right. car ride is good. <laughs> My captive audience for 20 minutes every morning. What is the best approach? What are the best questions to ask that are not going to add more stress? Back when my kids were in grammar school, we had a principal who used to say to us, um, mm-hmm. don't interview for pain. Don't, you know, if you see the kids in front of you getting into a car and your child's not in that car, don't then grill your kid about how, you know, don't interview him for pain. Don't grill him about why he's not in that car. And, and as a parent, it's hard because you feel what they feel you, or you anticipate Mm -hmm. what they feel. So in a situation like this, what is, what are some questions you would suggest to ask? And I guess more importantly, what are things we should not be asking? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, in talking with students, I mean, it's funny to me because I think adults do a lot of talking around students, you know, rather than sometimes to or with students through this process. But we as adults have our opinions. Um, and I can say this having been, like I said, one of those, you know, one of those college counselors that you would come to, right, to get your kids into the main school. And now I'm, like, so grossed out that <laughs> I did that. I really am because I'm like, oh, like all those conversations, those years, you know, what detriment did I do to those families and those kids? Again, 
Um, so I feel, you know, I, I want to just say that. It's like, I'm not criticizing. I, I've been there. Um, but I, I also don't know that I, was I listening? You know, was I really listening to what students wanted? I'm, I'm proud to say that, you know, over the years, of course, I've shifted and now have a reputation for that, right, for being really in it with, um, with students. But I would say, you know, it's so easy as parents for us to kind of take charge of us or you know, get this activity done, this has to get done, this does. And I think there is a certain amount, you know, a certain amount of corralling that you just do naturally um, as, a, you know, as a parent. This process is a really important one to let your student be in the, in the driver's seat and to play a support role. Um, and so I think, you know, at the outset, it's like stepping into the conversation of, hey, I just want to, you know, I want to check in about the college admissions thing. There's a lot of stress around this and a lot of pressure. And I notice that. I see it. I know it's real. How could we do this or how can I support you as parents um, in this so that you could maybe do it differently and it wouldn't feel as stressful? Or how could we minimize the stress together? And that can look like, you know, for families, I, I also remind them to celebrate. Right, when applications go in, that's a time for celebration, right? A lot of times kids send applications and you're just doing family dinner and it's back to soccer practice and, you know, we forget to mark the milestones of, of huge accomplishment. You know, you put yourself out there. Good for you. That's yeah. a big thing. You know, celebrating what is to be celebrated, reminding kids, listen, it doesn't matter to us you know, where you go, if that's true, right? I know that that's not always true for families. And when I work with them, you know, I, I do a lot of work with, with families about what is important to them because those are some of the most important conversations to facilitate. But in the book, for example, I have a letter writing exercise that um, families do with each other where they, you know, talk, the idea is, you know, sometimes you can, sometimes you've got the 20-minute car ride, but sometimes you know, your teenager's talking to you, and sometimes they aren't. We all know, right? right. So it's like, you know, you can, um, I suggest that families write these letters to each other, you know, favorite memories from being together these past years. What are some of your hopes and dreams around this? Because often that goes uncommunicated, and just the anxiety of the process is communicated. And I think, like, if a lot of parents, if they were to step back and think, what do I really want for my kids? Most would say, I, really, I want you to be happy, right? And I want you, to, I want you to, to be able to step into your own flourishing. Um, and so it's really, I think, important, again, this is back to that ritual piece of it or that rite of passage piece for there to be, um, you know, the, the leadership on the part of parents to be really thinking about how can I model, you know, how can I model, you know, uh, encouraging my kid to step into his or her own here and be you know, be in support, be in support of what, what this student is after um, in thinking about his or her future. That's a nice way to frame it up. With, with all of this, so you've been doing this for years and years. And again, those of you joining us, I'm here with Lisa Fisher, author of Admissions by Design, Stop the Madness and Find the Best College for You, among her many other, uh, and, and so many, many other attributes. She's educator, coach, college and career counselor. And again, I have to throw in junior Olympic skier because I think that's fascinating. And mother <laughs> as well. <laughs> but I'm yeah. so fascinated by that, I have to tell you. Um, so with all the students that you have uh, spoken with and counseled over the years, is there one that stands, is there a story that really stands out to you 
that really meant uh, or really left an impression with you, even more so than uh, than others? There are so many. Um, there's boy, there are so many. Um, but I'll tell I'll tell a story of one student who, you know, and this was this is really in this transition period um, for me, where I'm transitioning into an understanding of how to do this differently. And man, when I think about the fact that we could have we could have totally lost this kid, um, who's who's absolutely thriving in the world, um, it, it breaks my heart. And it was it was a it was a moment of real clarity for me. So this is a student who was just unbelievably bright, hugely bright. Um, and, uh, you know, he was, um, he was, you know, doing things like, um, writing, you know, uh, write, coding on his calculator, right on his mouth calculator for fun and had this dream of being a, a video game designer and developer. Well, this is years and years ago when, you know, we were, everybody was still thinking video games are, you know, that's not a thing, right? <laughs> that's, you're, no, you're not going to go do that. Um, uh, and he was committed, you know, he was very committed. And, um, you know, there was a lot of talk in the, in the um, faculty lounge about, you know, why couldn't this kid just, you know, why couldn't we get him to, you know, uh, school unless on video games and, you know, he was such a bright math student. And we had our, like, there were the ideas about how he was going to um, uh, go forward. Um, and he had his ideas. And um, I worked really closely with him, and I pressed him um, hard because this was, you know, I, by this point I had, you know, turned, um, <laughs> turned away from my old ways and was listening, uh, listening more. I think, you know, not listening like I am now, but listening better. And he, he was making a compelling case. And I wasn't sure we weren't wrong. Um, and um, he, you know, I, like I said, I pressed him, and we worked together. We worked together very closely. And his journey was going to look different. You know, he wasn't going to go necessarily to one of these, you know, fancy, um, you know, fancy-named schools. Um, but he had his ideas. And I could see just the conviction in him. And he, it chokes me up even to talk about him now because, you know, we 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 were wrong. Um, he went on to be an enormously successful video game developer, hugely successful. And had we stood him wrong, had he been less convicted, um, he he maybe wouldn't be giving the gifts to the world that he has to offer. And he is enormously talented. And like I said, it chokes me up to think that we, as adults, could have been in the position to have robbed the world of his gift. And that's what I'm so afraid about, I think, in, you know, in the way that we do this now. How many kids like him have we, as adults, steered wrong because of our own anxiety, because of our own not, you know, not knowing about the path that a student should be on, when, in fact, they have a hunch or, you know, or a knowing themselves that is a thread they should absolutely follow because it's going to manifest in this really beautiful way. There is story after story like that. Um, I'm still connected with him. You know, I'm, I'm proud to say, and um, his story is, a, you know, one of many um, of students like that. But I think as parents and adults, we really have to ask ourselves, are we so sure we know? Because this world is changing, you know, at a rapid pace, and there are... Um, many different ways to do things now. And um, sometimes we're in a better position of following, you know, following our kids and supporting them in the gifts that they know that they have. 
I I can't even tell you how much of that meant what you just said and I can't even believe it's been 55 minutes and our time is up and Lisa I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours you're so fantastic Kathleen oh I I, I can't thank you enough and Mariah, for coming thank tonight. you so much <laughs> I know Mariah's you. questions were great tonight and Lisa you were amazing and I as I said as a mother with a child in college one about to go to college and one who's years away that last story, I think, was the most meaningful of all. And if anything we take away from tonight, it is about the kid. It's not about us. It's not about society. It's not about the colleges. It's about the kid and what they are and who they are and what they need. And I think that story was such an amazing way to end this evening. And I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight. And for those of you listening, thank you all for joining in. And I encourage you to come back next Thursday night at 7 o'clock, more Mom Moments. Uh, we will bring stories to you every Thursday night. And uh, once again, I encourage you all to run out, not just walk, run Lisa Fisher's book, Admissions by Design, Stop the Madness, and Find the Best College for You. And by you, we mean the kids. And thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Served honorably in our nation's armed forces, and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Do you remember how excited you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school, see your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate? Well, you should have been excited about music class, too, because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends, and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them. And make sure they get involved with music in school and in their lives. A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music education. Music, part of a sound education. Voted number one jazz cabaret club by New York Magazine, the Metropolitan Room is one of the most critically acclaimed venues in New York City and is known as the home for big-name talents and rising stars. Known as a celebrity hangout, the Metropolitan Room is a high-end cabaret and jazz club and brings the best in live music to New York City every night of the week. Fabulous award-winning Broadway, TV, film, and radio performers take the stage in an intimate 115-seat elegant venue. Aside from the great highly professional artistic shows and audience, Metropolitan Room provides an exceptional appetizer and dessert menu as well as exotic and specialty drinks prepared by top New York City bartenders. The Metropolitan Room is located at 34 West 22nd Street, Conveniently located near public transportation. For information or reservations, call area code 212 
206-0440. Once again, the area code is 212-206-0440. Or go to their website at www.metropolitanroom.com.